0: Let's pray and then jump into Mark. Father, thank you for your word and how amazing and powerful it is. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you'd be glorified in, in the, the openness of our hearts and that your spirit would be at work. And please invite us to what you want to invite us into, challenge us with what you need to challenge us, encourage us the way we need to be encouraged and be glorified in the whole process. In Jesus' name we pray amen. Several years ago, I was uh, hanging out with a few friends, and we were just chatting about different things, and we started to tell about border stories. Somebody had just come back across the border, and uh, it's amazing how probably every one of you who have crossed the border have some sort of unique and interesting border story, uh, it just seems like everybody has a story about crossing the border. It's almost as if the border guard, uh, you're you're dependent on whether they had coffee in the morning or something. But we know that they're trying to do a good job and it's important. But uh, the story that stands out is from one of my friend's brother-in-law who was a police officer in Vancouver. And uh, I've actually met this guy a couple times. I will call him Gary, uh, because um, just to save his real name. But uh, Gary, um, the way my friend tells it is probably a little embellished. So I'll tell you the way I've been told. But uh, Gary was a, a kind of guy who, who really liked the authority that came with the badge. He, he, he really liked being a police officer. And you could tell in the way he carried himself, the way he talked about stories. He, he just, he, he, he felt the power of the badge. And so as my friend tells it, Gary was under the understanding that uh, members of law enforcement have a, a kind of a, a code. And so coming across the border back into Canada, you just show your badge and you're, you're free to come in. That's what, he was, you know, that's what he thought. Well, this time he showed his badge, his Vancouver police uh, badge, and uh, the border guard wasn't impressed. The border guard asked for the passport, as he should, and Gary would have none of it. It was unacceptable to him, and not only was it unacceptable, it was offensive to him and to the badge that they would not recognize the badge and let him through, and so he threw down the gauntlet, and he told the border guard he had no right to ask a police officer for a passport, and he should just let him through. Well, instead of convincing the border guard with his intimidation techniques, Gary's comments escalated the situation, as you would probably imagine, and the border guard told him to pull over and go inside. Well, Gary would have none of it. He claimed that the border guards have no authority. They are, they, they are worthless, and he continued to demean the border guard, and he demanded to be let through. Well, as you can probably imagine, this did not go well for Gary, And he ended up being detained for several hours before they got it all straightened out. When he could have just humbled himself and given over his passport. It was a power struggle over who had more authority. Well, in today's passage, there is a power struggle over authority. The word authority shows up four times in seven verses. And for the religious temple leaders, it is a power struggle. They are the authority in the temple. And what Jesus did in the passage that we looked at last week, where he came in and he tipped over tables and he disrupted the the whole rituals of of the goings-on in the temple, that was unacceptable to these uh, these, uh, temple religious leaders. They were the ones that had authorities. Where did he get the authority to do that? And in fact, almost everything that Jesus has done was unacceptable to him or to these religious leaders because they think they're the authority in the things related to God. From the moment Jesus enters the scene in Mark 1, he's been speaking and acting with such obvious authority that the only way forward for the religious leaders is either to silence him or accept his authority or get rid of him and kill him. Well, in the passage today, he finally comes out and asks about, the the religious leaders finally come out and ask Jesus about the source of his authority. Where does he get the authority to do these things? So let's read Mark 11 verses 27 to 33 and see how this uh, power struggle over authority actually plays out. If you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to have it open or on your app just so you can kind of work through it, see it, the whole thing as we work our way through it. So Mark 11, 27 through 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So here it is, the third day since Jesus came entered Jerusalem and the temple to the praise of all the people that were laying down their cloaks as he rode on the donkey. And each day he's come into the temple and then he's gone home at night. The, yesterday, the day just before this morning, he had cursed the fig tree and come into the temple and tipped over the temple and all the, all, all the disrupted the rituals. And then this morning, the disciples had noticed the fig tree had withered, and now they had come into the temple. And um, now that he's back in the temple, the religious leaders, they come to him with a very important question. We've seen a growing antagonism from the religious leaders, beginning all the way back in chapter 3 in verse 6, when uh, the Pharisees began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus after he had healed on the Sabbath day. And the theme of authority is really important to Mark in the story of Jesus. Right away in Mark one twenty-two, it says, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Again, in one twenty-seven, the people are amazed at his teaching that he has such authority. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority, on earth to forgive sins. And then in chapter 3:15 and again in 6:7, Jesus gives his his 12 disciples, the 12 chosen apostles, the authority to drive out demons and impure sp- spirits. So Jesus has continued to demonstrate real powerful authority. Authority that bothers and upsets the religious leaders because especially in the temple They feel they have the authority. Jesus comes on the scene, he acts with such powerful authority, a supernatural authority, people are recognizing it. This authority permits him to do what nobody else can do, an authority that totally disrupts the established authority and so the established authority, these religious leaders, they are not happy. Jesus is not a priest in the temple. He's not one of the official religious leaders. Yet he's doing all these things with irrefutable authority. And to top it off, he comes into the temple and pronounces judgment as if he had higher authority to do it. So they ask the obvious question, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And I'm reading this thinking, okay, Jesus, now is your chance to be really clear. These guys are not seeming to get it. They're a little slow. So be crystal clear with them. But Jesus, he doesn't take the bait. Instead, it seems like he tries to evade the question by answering a counter question. Now, we all know how this works, right? Let me take you back to your childhood. You walk into the kitchen. There's a plate of cookies. And there's one left. And you look around. Mom's not around. So you grab it and you eat it. Mom comes in. Who took the last cookie? And instead of answering because you're afraid you might get in trouble, you're like, there were cookies? Can I have one? You know, you counter-question, right, to evade it. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not avoiding anything. His counter-question was very intentional. In fact, this was, uh, counter-questioning was one of the ways that rabbi, Jewish rabbis would, would answer a question with a counter-question. And he asks a question that, again, as Jesus' questions often do, Reveal the heart and beliefs of the religious leaders. His question also narrows down the categories that, that, um, that they might think he, he might appeal to, to just two. He doesn't appeal to a certain influential rabbi or another. He doesn't appeal to the Torah, the Old Testament law. He's helping the religious leaders realize there's really only two options. Either my authority is from heaven, which is God himself, or from humans. And the example he uses is John's baptism. And John's baptism was proclaiming forgiveness. We need to, or repentance, a baptism of repentance. And he's saying, was John's baptism from heaven or merely human? Well, what's significant about this as well is John baptized Jesus, and something amazing happened at, bap- at Jesus' baptism. And in case you don't remember, look at Mark 1, 9 through 11. This is what happened when Jesus was baptized by John at the Jordan. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So, with this one counter question to the religious leaders, Jesus makes it very clear that the answer to whether um, to what Jesus is doing should be obvious. Heaven was torn open. A spirit was visibly come down like a, like a dove into him, and a voice called out the the voice of the god the father this is my son whom i love this was the launch of jesus's mission that he and his ministry that that he had authority uh, that empowered his teaching and his healings and his casting out of demons so jesus is essentially asking the religious leaders to look at the facts look at what happened Look what you've been seeing around and let those things answer the question. Are these things done by human authority or are they done by divine authority? And again, the religious leaders, they don't seem to be interested in what they've actually seen and heard. They don't, they're not seeming to be interested in those facts because the question stumps them. They have to think about it and figure out how they're going to answer And their answer makes it clear that they're not really thinking about the truth. They're not thinking about what they've seen and heard and how that might affect them and what they should do about it. Because the truth of those things isn't what they discuss. What they discuss is how their answer will reflect on their reputation, on their way of life. Look at verse 31 and how they consider what Jesus asks them. It's not, hmm, yeah, we did hear that voice of God the Father. And we did see something come down on Jesus. And, 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 and what was that? Heaven being torn open. And, and uh, he did heal a lot of people. And he did cast out demons. And he, he did tread on the waves of the sea. That's only something God can do. He calmed the sea with his voice. That's not what they discuss. They weren't interested in those things. They were interested in how people would think of them because of their answer. And the key word that sums up the heart and beliefs, the way of thinking of the religious leaders, is what shows up in parentheses in verse 32 feared. What did did they fear? They feared the people. What does Proverbs say about fear? They would have known the Proverbs. Proverbs 9.10. Look at Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of who? Not people. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 29.25 goes further. It says, fear of man, fear of humans, will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The religious leaders were letting their fear of people dictate how they reacted. That drove their whole way of thinking. Their fear of people was much greater than their fear of the Lord. So on the one hand, they wouldn't let the facts of what Jesus was doing lead them to repentance. It could be that they were so focused on the temple and the letter of the law that they couldn't believe that God would act outside of the temple or beyond the temple. They thought Everything was focused there, and, and uh, John didn't come from the temple. He, his authority was not associated with the temple. So they had a limited view of God that, that constricted him to the temple. I think even more is that they wouldn't acknowledge John was a prophet with authority from heaven because it would disrupt their authority. They didn't believe John's authority came from heaven because it was outside their jurisdiction. They didn't want to give that up, so they didn't want to admit that John's authority might be from God. On the other hand, they were afraid of the people and what the people would think and how their livelihood would be affected if they answered that his authority was merely human because people held that he was a prophet who had authority from God. Their discussion wasn't about truth. Their discussion was how they could save their reputation and how they could look good and not lose their position's of authority in the temple. So they answered as the only way they could. They they didn't know. And with that answer, their motivations were revealed. And I think the source of their authority is revealed as not being from heaven, but the, the source of their authority is human. And so Jesus refuses to give them an answer. He's like, if, if my miracles, if the healings, if the teachings, if they don't believe those things, those have all been the answer. If they don't believe those things, they're not going to believe what I say right here. Jesus isn't trying to convince the religious leaders. He's announcing the truth of the kingdom of God. And anyone who acknowledges it, who recognizes that, is welcome, including the religious leaders. We can enter through faith in him into the kingdom. The kind of faith that he wants people to have is the kind that recognizes his authority, recognizes those things that he's doing as coming from heaven, and to choose to put your faith in him. I've been encouraged a lot lately by reading from the late author and pastor Eugene Peterson and uh, he wrote a book called run with the horses that I just finished reading and and he wrote about an experience in there and uh, I want to read you what he says he said there's a rocky cliff on the shoreline of the Montana lake where I live part of each summer there are breaks in the rock face in which tree swallows make their nests For several weeks one summer, I watched the swallows in swift flight collect insects barely above the surface of the water and dive into the cavities in the cliff, feeding first their mates and then their newly hatched chicks. Near one of the cracks in the cliff face, a dead branch stretched about four feet over the water. One day I was delighted to see three new swallows side by side on this branch. The parents made sweeping insect-gathering circuits over the water, then returned to the enormous cavities that those little birds became as they opened their beaks for a feeding. This went on for a couple of hours until the parents decided they had enough of it. One adult one, one adult swallow got alongside the chicks and started shoving them toward the end of the branch, pushing, pushing, pushing. The one on the end fell off. Somewhere between the branch and the water, four feet below, the wings started working, and the fledging was off on his own. Then the second one. The third was not to be bullied. At the last moment, his grip on the branch loosened just enough so he swung downward, then tightened again, bulldog tenacious. The parent was without sentiment. He pecked at the desperately clinging talons, until it was more painful for the poor chick to hang on than to risk the insecurities of flying. The grip was released and the inexperienced wings began pumping. The mature swallow knew what the chick did not, that it would fly, that there was no danger in making it do what it was perfectly designed to do. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk, they can cling, but flying is their characteristic action and until they fly they are living their best gracefully and beautifully. We humans have bodies that we can take charge of. We have minds to think and to imagine with. We're free to choose which way to go, we're free to choose what to think about, but what we were designed to do like those swallows were designed to fly is we were designed to be in a trusting relationship with the Almighty God. And until we put our faith and hope in Jesus, will we be living our best gracefully and beautifully? The religious leaders, they chose to live in fear, fear of humans, rather than submit to Jesus and the faith that would set them free the invitation that was held out to them the invitation to recognize his authority the authority of the almighty god is the invitation to us as well we can hold on to our own authority our own semblance of control with tenacious bulldog tenacity however he said that <laughs> or We can accept his authority and put our faith in him that knows the best. Even if we don't understand what he's taken us through, even if we don't like it, we can trust that he would only give us what we would ask for if we knew everything he did, like those parent swallows who knew they would fly. He knows what we need when we don't. So if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, If you've never put your faith and hope in Him, you're welcome to this morning. That's your invitation. And you can do that right where you sit. Or you can come and talk to me or someone else about what it would mean to enter this kind of relationship. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you, if you have put your faith and hope and trust in Him, you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks of you. Because the Almighty God, Jesus, the one who has all authority and all power, the King of the universe, he loves, adores you so much that he gave his life for you. And you can be adopted into his family and you can have what you're looking for from others from him and be set free to love And forgive the person in front of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the demonstration of who you are as a human. He became human. And he showed us what Almighty God is like. Someone who reaches out and touches the hurting. Someone who goes to those who need help. Someone who is willing to die so that we could have life. God, help us to recognize him more and more, maybe for the first time, and maybe just a reminder or or a new way of thinking about it. Thank you that we can be in relationship with you and worship you.